0: morning. I'm Josh. If you don't know me, welcome. Glad you guys are here. Glad I'm speaking, kicking this off. uh, This week, Um, like Parker said, we're we're starting a new uh, series today, uh, a six-week series titled Passion for Jesus. Um, It's going to lead us right up to Easter, uh, Easter Sunday. And this series will be focusing on the multifaceted idea of Passion for Jesus, what that really means, and what it means for our individual lives, what it means for us as families, as a body, um, a church body. Um, Over the past 12 months, you know, things have been uh, kind of tumultuous. You know, it's been up and down. It's critical that our personal and our corporate uh, attention is focused on Jesus. We're, We're zeroing in on Jesus, directed to Jesus first and foremost, before anything else. Jesus is the most powerful, majestic, radiant, glorious person that you'll ever meet. Jesus is also the smartest, happiest, funniest, funnest, most amazing, and closest loving friend you'll ever have. Nothing compares to him. Nothing compares to him. No one compares to him. Nothing in life deserves or is worth your passion, your your, uh, attention, your um, devotion, your time like he is. Um, Your primary calling in life, what you are made for, was to be loved by Jesus and to love Jesus. This morning, I'm going to kick off this message and, and talk about beholding Jesus, just beholding him. My desire is to get you in front of Jesus this morning and let him take over. Hopefully, um, as as we go, uh, I won't go too long, but hopefully, <laughs> and but talking about this, and and then, you know, we're just going to get in front of him in worship. We're going to get in front of him in ministry time, and we're just going to... Behold him, you know, behold his glory, behold his beauty. So let me pray, and then I'll start off. So, God, we just come before you this morning. We thank you for today. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives, God. I ask that we would be able to fix our eyes on you this morning. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would remove internal distractions, silence the voice of the accuser, Bring peace. Bring the ability to focus on Jesus this morning. Jesus, we love. We th- we love you. We thank you for this message series, God. We thank you for what you've stirred up passion for you. God, I ask that you would restore the beauty and the majesty concerning the person of Jesus today. Restore our hunger through this series and and beyond for the for your glory, God, for your eternal um, majesty. God, I ask that you would save us from just the trends and the influences of our times, and that you'd give us the ancient one again. Holy Spirit, I ask that we would behold and be transformed by you, by the beauty of the Lamb. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to start off with a story. Uh, John Richter is really good at encouraging and giving feedback. And lately, he's been encouraging me to share more stories in my messages. And so earlier this week, uh, I'm going to start with this story. John uh, texted me this wonderful text message. I'm going to read it for you. It says, this is from John to me. He says, you're one of my favorite people. The first time I met you, your dad introduced us. This was probably nine or t- ten years ago. Um, uh, and I felt this draw and connection to you. I knew you were hurting, it's true, and felt like God had so many plans for you. Watching you preach thrilled my heart this past weekend, thinking about how the Father has drawn us together to co-labor with him and bring the kingdom to Oxford. I love you, Josh, even more so. I feel so loved by you, thanks. It doesn't stop. Concerning your messages, I love your teaching, but I feel like you neglect the great stories and testimonies uh, in your life, and you're preaching, you're pre- your life preaches so much. Uh, in your coming messages, think about ways you can pull from your experiences to support your teaching points. Always remember that they, you guys, remember the stories more than the points. Love you. Hope this is helpful. So John's encouragement is kind of like Paul's letters. If you've ever read Paul's letters, it starts off very encouraging and nice, and then he, there's this, uh, you know, critiquing which is good and I need that personally, I I welcome that. Thank you, John. And he's right, I do need to share more stories and I want to. um, Thank you, John. I just thought it would be a great story to start off with. (laughs) But I will, I'll get personal right now. It's not necessarily a story, it's probably just things that have just happened over the past year. And I've just found myself longing, um, you know, internally feeling kind of lonely in the trajectory of my pursuit. hungry for something more authentic. And in the depths of my soul, something's been awakening, been stirred by the Spirit. And at times throughout the last year, my heart could barely like stand uh, the thought of another rallying message or another you know, prophetic prediction by a, an anointed vessel online. Um, though the meaning of life is found in Jesus, we, how easy is it to get distracted by just things? It's easy to get distracted by things, whatever they may be. We've been, embraced, we've been offered the embrace of the perfect one. However, the enemy uh, loves to continually direct us away from beholding God. He loves to take our, our thoughts. He loves to, to pull us in a direction one way or the other. Um, sometimes we're swept up into the latest compelling need. We're so consumed at times with fixing ourselves Um, we ignore the deeper answer to all of our desires. Knowledge of God in Christ Jesus. We look for books, we look for podcasts, materials on finding our personality type or how to deal with depression, anxiety, diets, unhealthy uh, marriages, uncertainty, fear, rejection, stress, those kind of things, and sermons on timely political issues and human needs abound, but scarcely a sermon is focused on just the personhood of Jesus. You know, Jesus is the Father's answer for every human condition. And I love theology, I love good teaching that explains uh, the principles, explains the kingdom, but just as much we need to encounter Jesus in a message. We need to encounter him. We need to behold him. Just take time away from listening and just get in front of him ourselves. We want want to... listen to things that bring us and get us hungry for coming face-to-face with Jesus, whatever that is. Don't, me, don't hear me wrong. I love, I love and appreciate those other things. I love and appreciate books and podcasts and messages, but we must take time to behold him more than we try to fix ourselves. Or, you know, like we, we can read those things and they're good, but they only go so far if we don't take time to get with the one who actually heals us. He's, he's, the, he's the healer. He's the great physician. He's the one who can fix everything. The Father declares Jesus' worthiness. He's in, he's in the throne room and he's declaring the worthiness of Jesus. Angels are swirling around the throne, um, you know, falling down, saying, Worthy, worthy, worthy. Even stones are willing to cry out on his behalf, but we who carry his name so many times, we just forget to take time to look at him. I want to desire him. I want to desire him alone to be undone by the depths of his life, by by his heart, by his love. I'm not satisfied where I currently am, and I would never want to be satisfied where I currently am, but it's easy to coast. It's easy just to get in the coast mode, but I want to I want to come closer, I want to go deeper, I want to be consumed by the fiery passion and be constantly transformed unto his likeness. This desire, actually, I see it has been divinely orchestrated. It's actually the Father and the Son and the Spirit working together to draw me deeper in love. 1 John 4.19 says, we love him because he first loved us. Jesus says in John six forty six forty four he says, No one is able to come to me unless the Father who sent me attracts and draws them and gives them the desire to come to me. So the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are working together to draw you into more love. They're, they're actively working to draw you deeper into relationship. We see this divine drawing throughout the Bible. In fact, uh, Christ is the longing of all the saints. Of course he is. Old and New Testament saints throughout history. Adam and Eve yearned for the coming sea, the coming ruler who would triumph over the works of the evil one. Abraham beheld his glory. He saw Christ's day and was glad. He left everything for the promise of bringing forth the one who would bless all the nations. Moses foresaw Jesus as the coming prophetic king. David sang glories about the coming Messiah even before this child was born actually out of his lineage, his great, great, great grandson. Prophetic traces of that ruler, of Jesus, who would suffer, die, and and rise again to rule over all things were revealed in the tabernacle of worship. Other prophets experienced Christ. Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord high and lifted up, seated on the throne, and heard the burning seraphim crying out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Isaiah discovered that the same king of glory seen high and lifted up, was to come as a, a baby, to come as a little baby, and, and, as, and he foretold that Emmanuel, God with us. The one from all eternity would take up flesh and blood. The child to be born would be given and established a throne. And he'd be wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And Isaiah saw that Jesus would come as a baby, and he'd come into humanity in the human form, and he would serve the nations by giving his life. The servant ruler of, the, of all would establish the kingdom of God and rule on behalf of the poor, bring justice and peace to the whole earth, and restore all of creation from the curse of sin. That captivation went on through the other prophets and throughout Scripture in the Old Testament all the way up with John the Baptist, and then Jesus comes on the scene The consolation of Israel has come, and yet we must ask ourselves if we today with our own eyes in this generation, have we beheld his glory? Have we beheld that glory, the one the whole world had waited for? Have we beheld his glory? There's something about Jesus that captivated everybody who met him. Every single person who met him was captivated by him. People were drawn to him. Children wanted to be with him. They wanted to hang out with him. Even religious leaders were drawn to him until he said things uh, that they disliked and then their, their, their interests turned into passionate hatred for him. There's something so captivating about Jesus that when the, he invited disciples to follow him, they just left their trades. They left their jobs. They left their family. They left their friends to just follow him, to just to be with this man. Jesus was revealed to the apostles and to the early church in such a way that their insatiable desire was to labor for his glory in his name, to see his kingdom on the earth as it is in heaven. This passion for Jesus has stirred in hearts of men and women throughout history. The Vineyard Movement itself started from a small group of people who were just captivated by Jesus. Captivated by who he was and his in his presence. And they just got passionate about worshiping him, about spending time together. And the signs and wonders and the healings were just part of what happened when the one that they were passionate about showed up. Amen. They happened because they were just enjoying God and worshiping God, and then these things started spilling out and breaking out around the room. Passion for Jesus has been in my childhood since, since I was little. It was ingrained in in my mind as a child and a preteen. The church that we went to um, at that time was uh, in Kansas City. The same building was also where I went to uh, Christian grade school off and on from ages 6 to 14. And at one point it was a vineyard. And they had these two, probably 15, 10 to 15 by 10 to 15, maybe even larger, these huge banners on the wall. One said passion for Jesus and the other said compassion for people. And and I grew up with these two phrases in my view almost daily. And the Holy Spirit would just direct my mind to those things. I don't know, there's nothing really special except they were just huge. Uh, but he would just draw them my, my, my eyes back to those over and over again. And I th- and now I can look back and he was building those things into my DNA. Even when there was this time period in my life, in my mid-twenties, where I walked away from Jesus... But even, you know, passion for Jesus and compassion for people was still, was still hidden inside me. It was still stirring. It was still, it was still part of me coming out even though I was trying to walk away from it. God is the God who loves to share himself. Like I said, he's constantly working to draw us into more love. He loves to delight our senses, our actual senses. He's joyful. He's He's delightful. He loves to construct reality around the unfolding of his beauty, his light, and his love. First reason that you exist is to know God. To be known by him. It's the very reason you're made. God doesn't need your help. Do you know that? (laughs) He's he's okay. (laughs) He's got things covered. He doesn't need your help. He's not lacking anything. You are the one created to search and mine the depths of his, the living God. You're the, cr- the only created creature that is made to search the heart of God. Do you know that? The only created creature that's capable of beholding him that way, to experience him that way, to be transformed by him in that way. We're the only created creatures to do that. No, no, Nothing else has that honor, not in heaven nor on the earth. Nothing has that honor or capability. Everything around you has been built to show the revelation of God to you. He's the God who loves to manifest himself, to unfold beauty. He reveals himself through everything that exists. Have you ever asked yourself why God showed him, shows himself in the way that he does? Have you ever asked yourself that? Why a burning bush to Moses? Why a dark cloud mingled with fire and lightning on, on Mount Sinai to Israel? Why a cloud by day and a fire by night? Why a still small voice to Elijah? Why all those weird Voices and strange creatures and blinding light and brilliant colors around the throne room. Why? Why would the eternal God come as a baby wrapped in a manger? Why did God take on the form of mankind forever? For two reasons. Because he can. (laughs) Because and for the pleasure of knowing him. Those are the two reasons. Because he can and for the pleasure of knowing him. God reveals himself in so many ways because he's passionate about you knowing him. His favorite way to show himself is through Jesus. Jesus is the word of God made flesh. He explains the Father to us in such unquestionable clarity. No one compares to Christ because he's the fullness of God in bodily form. In him we live, we move, we have our being. Jesus Christ is the very image of God's radiance. In him are are hidden all the riches of wisdom and glory. Have you ever just sat and thought about the glory of God? Just just sat and thought about it. I encourage you to do it sometime. Imagine it. Imagine his glory. Have you ever wondered how deep and wide his love for you really is? He's inviting you, he's inviting me, he's inviting every person to taste and see that he's good whether it's for the first time, whether it's for a thousandth time, he's, he's inviting you to come and experience his life, his personality. If you've never met Jesus, if you've never known the love that he has for you, I would say that you've probably not truly understood the meaning of why you were created if you've never experienced that. His invitation is always open. He's always close to you, arms open. Um, he answers those who call on his name. He's faithful to answer those who call on his name. He's even faithful to answer those who don't know what name to call and just call out. <laughs> True identity, real purpose, comes from being in relationship with him. The reason that we're created is to be friends with God. You're not created for religious ceremonies, not for a list of do's and don'ts. You weren't created just to have a job, a career, to make a million dollars and retire You're created to know God. You're created for loving communion with the maker of the universe. That's incredible. Who's ever joined himself to you in the person of his son, Jesus? It's hard to believe he likes me a a lot. (laughs) He likes me way more than I like me. (laughs) He wants to be around me way more than I want to be around me. And don't just take my word for it. Jesus said it himself. You are the desire of his heart. So let's let's quickly turn to John seventeen. John seventeen is one of my favorite uh, chapters. It's a high priestly prayer. Jesus is praying. He's with the disciples. He's just had um, the last supper. He's been sharing encouraging words with them, and he offers up this prayer just before um, getting arrested in the garden. And there's no other prayer like this. The, the Lord's Prayer is close, um, but even that's just a model of how we're to pray. Uh, John 17 is the o- overflow of the fellowship of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's a place where God talks to God. God talks to God in this, in this prayer. Jesus is talking to our Father about his own desire for us, about the eternal destiny of Jesus and his bride, the church. In verses one through five, Jesus connects with the desires of his Father. Having done all the Father has requested, Father, the hour has come. I've finished the work which you've given me to do, and now, Father, glorify me together with yourself. In verses six through 19, he prays for the 11 disciples, proclaims that their faith is authentic. They truly believe, and he he states that um, he has kept them and prays they be protected from the evil one. And then Jesus envisions the, the unfolding future. He looks down the next 2,000 years and he sees you and me and everybody in between that would come to know him because of their word, their message, their testimony. And Jesus is beholding his bride through the ages. His heart's overflowing here. And he lays forth the mission statement for the church. So we're picking up here in Verse 24. Says, Father, I desire, that they also whom you've gave gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you've given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I've known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name, and I and will declare it. And the love which you love me may be in them, and I in them. Verse twenty four. Jesus erupts with this passionate longing. Father, I desire. The son is telling the father what is on his heart, the thing that he is most passionate about. What does he want? What does he desire? It's you and I. That we would be with him where he is. That we would behold his beauty. It can be summed up in two words, union and glory. Being with him. Fullness of him expressing himself through the complete filling of these human temples. Dwelling place. His heart overflows as he sets forth the pathway to that union and glory. There's three longings of Jesus' heart that we see here that we must understand as a church. First one is that he desires for us to be with him where he is. Second is that we behold him. Behold his glory. And the third is to love him like the Father loves him. Jesus declares, Father, if I go to the cross, let my bride, my body, my image bearers walk in this. Let them walk in this, Father. This is what I desire. That, that This is what I'm willing to die for, that they would be one with me, where I am. Let them behold my glory and let them love me like you love me, Father. For me, nothing stirs up passion, more passion for Jesus like knowing his passion for me. Jesus was just as passionate for you and I 2,000 years ago as he is today. He prayed this prayer for us because he's that passionate about us. He's willing to go to the cross for you and I before we were born, before we did anything, before our lives were, began, before we began to walk them out. He desired us. There's a season in my life where I just meditated on those words, Father, I desire. For like two months. <laughs> like every day for two months. And I, I encourage you to do that. Just just think about that. What does what does the son desire? He desires me. Wow. Meditate on that. Jesus desires you and I to you know individually, personally, behold his beauty. Not just talk about it, not just be in a room where other people talk about it and think about it, and maybe they do. Like for you and I to personally, individually behold his glory. He does this for for Four reasons, probably more, but four ones that I can think of. Jesus is the full revelation of the Father, so when we see him, we know the Father. Beholding Jesus is the foundation for salvation. When we behold him, we understand, and we come into that salvation, and not just like eternal salvation, but wholeness of life, completeness here, now, freedom, now, every part. Beholding God is the primary way of transformation for the human design. That's how we become transformed. And and beholding Jesus' glory produces the greatest amount of love in the human heart. We see how much he loves us. Our capacity has grown. We begin to love like he does the more that we behold his love. Nothing accelerates my heart in the grace of God more than coming into agreement with Jesus' desire. As I study and pray these things, Lies, accusations, things of the enemy concerning the good, goodness of God, concerning his nature, they lose their grip. Lies concerning my purpose, my created purpose, lose power as I become confident in God's yearning to be close to me. His desires, his power is greater than my, my dullness, greater than my weakness. My soul finds rest when I behold him. I'm empowered to love him and others and my vision becomes clear. I I talked about King David for a second earlier. David's one desire, we see in Psalm 27, 4, it says, one thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek, inquire for and incessantly require that I may dwell in the house of the Lord in his presence all the days of my life. To behold and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to meditate, consider, and inquire in His temple. David's one desire was to behold and be in the presence of the Lord all the days of his life. Last year, um, we were the first church to be invited to participate in a new class that's just been kicked off, launched out of Vineyard Northwest, um, titled The School of Prophetic Ministry. Uh, our friend Micah Turnbow came and spoke a couple months ago. He's, he's pioneering this class. And much like Sakam, it's a nine-month course that's being developed for site churches to join and be part of. And so we were the first ones to be able to do this. We put together a trial class to see if it fits us, to see if it's what we want to offer next year for everybody and open up. And the School of Prophetic Ministry is broken into three trimesters. Each has a focal point. The first is titled "Behold." The second is become and the third is declare. And we're close to the middle of the second trimester right now, but the first entire first semester was all about, and we all we did was meditate on Psalm 274 for the first 30 minutes of class, every class. And then our homework was to do that the rest of the week. Just that verse. Psalm 274, that to behold and, and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. The idea of beholding. It's all about answering Jesus' prayer, Father, I desire. Beholding Jesus will return beauty back to his church and wonder back to the church. And there's a a principle that happens. It's it's the beholding and the becoming principle. Jesus desires that we behold his glory unto transformation. God's not looking um, for those who just submit and, and try to sign up because they're afraid of hell. That's not what he wants at all. He desires that the encounter, they encounter the self-revelation, his self-revelation, that we become in love with all of our hearts, soul, and minds, and strength, that he would draw us in so every part of us is transformed. God's method for, for a, designing a partner is to create fascination and overflowing love. That's what he wants in the church. We see God for who he really is when we savor him. We take time to just be before him. When we delight that he is truth, he is life. We're changed by those things. He's satisfying. Nothing satisfies like he does. Two things flow from such an experience with Jesus. He's honored and we're free to just walk in the joy of the narrow way of love. We're easy to die to ourselves. We're crucified to the world and nothing can bother us anymore because we're with him and he's all that matters. The Apostle Paul set forth in 2 Corinthians 3 this principle, this idea that just ties with, with uh, Jesus' desire to bring people into liberty in all facets of life. And, and the, the, the idea is when our eyes behold Christ, the spirit re- produces the same reality inside of us. Paul says, now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, there's freedom. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. What does a mirror do? You look at yourself in a mirror, you see a reflection. That's what we should think about when we're beholding God. The more I look at him, the more I reflect him. If physically, when Moses did that, his face physically changed. It was radiating the beauty of God. That's the wisdom of beholding. The affections of the heart follow our gaze, whatever we're looking at. Our heart will follow. And so if we're focused on Jesus, our heart will follow Jesus. If we're focused on something else, our heart's going to follow something else. Beholding is becoming. Seeing Christ transforms us into his likeness. It's this amazing upward cycle of going from glory to glory. By beholding the glory of Christ, our faith is is catapulted, and our capacity to love is enlarged and spills over in a whole new new area, in a whole new reservoir. And then again, it happens again and again as we go from glory to glory. we, We go upward in this upward kind of spiral thing, closer and closer to Jesus. I could think of times where the Holy Spirit would just give me the tiniest, teeny, tiniest bit of revelation. It was just like, my heart would explode. Like, oh, that's who Jesus is. That's what he's really like. That's what he thinks about me. Oh, just the tiniest part. It changes us. It it makes us come undone. There's nothing, there's no greater pleasure than God revealing himself to us. These are the most powerful moments in our lives, the most exhilarating, intoxicating, wondrous, and terrifying experiences that shape us. So just to wrap up, I want to just say there's some easy, super easy ways to just behold the beauty of Jesus. First one is in Scripture. Just get it out, meditate on it, ask the Holy Spirit to encounter you, to show you Jesus. Another one is Thanksgiving prayer. That's the easiest way. If you're having a hard day, just begin to thanking God for like air that you're breathing. <laughs> thank him for whatever the clothes you have on. Thank him for whatever it is. And you get, as you begin to thank him for the tiniest things, your heart just opens up more and more. Your, your love, it's like, oh man, God, you're so good. Prayer, meditation, radical fascination with the love of God. Again, just thinking about how much he loves you. Just think about it. Another way to behold the beauty of God is just the eyes of our heart, which is our imagination. Just close your eyes real quick. And whatever the space your imagination is, whatever, wherever that is in your mind, just think of Jesus. I can't tell you necessarily what that looks like because that's your imagination. That's the eyes of your heart. And so say, Jesus, you're welcome into this place. Encounter me in this place. And you actually have freedom to engage your imagination with the Holy Spirit. A lot of us have shut down our imagination and and we're not supposed to do that. Have us have given our imagination over to other things. Let me just break that off right now in the name of Jesus. I encourage you to, to see with the eyes of your heart, behold the beauty of God there. Another way to behold the beauty is just in the people around us. And family and friends, coworkers, neighbors, look for the face of Jesus in them. Another good way is just declarations of truth. And so what we're going to do, everybody stand up. Not after this, the worship team can come up, but I want you guys to do this too. So I'm going to read off these declarations. We were with Wilson Cochran a couple of nights ago, and he had some really good ones, and I stole a couple of his, and then I added some more. So I'm going to read these off, and then I'll read them again, and then we'll read them, we'll read them together as I read it the second time. So I'll read them all first, and then we'll read them again. So the first one is, I am the object of your affection. I am the object for your passionate pursuit of me. I cannot perform for your love. I cannot hold you back from loving me. I accept your invitation to be loved by you, Jesus. I desire to behold your beauty and be transformed by you. So I'll I'll say it and you can repeat it after me. The first one. "I I am the object of your affection. I am the object of your affection. I am the object of your passionate pursuit for me. I cannot, perform for your love. I cannot perform for your love. I cannot hold you back from loving me. I accept your invitation to be loved by you, Jesus. I desire to behold your beauty and be transformed by you. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Worship band, you guys can come on up. So each week we're going we're gonna to have a challenge. and uh, Hopefully you guys got one of these in your, in your bulletin today. If you didn't get one, we'll have some for you. But this week, again, is behold. and So the challenge for this week is to meditate on Psalm 27.4. Um, journal your experience. So however many times you do that, if you do it every day, awesome. If you only do it once, that's okay too. But that's written out for you guys there, and you can do that. Jesus, I thank you for this morning. God, I just I, I, I thank you that we could get in front of you. Now, Lord, I, we just want to get out of the way and behold you, God. Worship you, Jesus. Experience your love for us. Yes, God. Jesus, we ask that you would stand front and center, right in the middle of this room this morning, God. We welcome you.